listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. And I'm just, I'm tickled to see all of y'all. I mean, we've just been, we've been gone too long. So I'm glad to be back. In Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, Paul is laying out a case that we've called our life in Christ. Who we are in Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done for us, who are we in Jesus? And he's laid out this argument in the first three chapters. Some would argue that these chapters are doctrinal in nature, meaning that he's teaching doctrines about who we are in Christ. And so the first three chapters are kind of laying out the foundation on which now from chapters four, five, and six, he's going to say, now because of all this, now go do these other things, okay, because of who you are in Christ. So in the first three chapters, he's laid out, touched on doctrines like these, the Trinity, He's touched on election and predestination. That was a fun week. Uh, He touched on adoption, how that we are brought into the family of God by adoption. He talked about redemption, redemption through the blood of Jesus shed in our place and for our sin. He's talked a little bit about sanctification, the process of having then uh, come to know Christ, how we then move into that relationship, becoming more and more like Jesus as we grow in our walk with him. He's talked about eternal security a little bit in this, having been sealed by the Holy Spirit until that time of inheritance comes until that day. He's talked a little bit about the depravity of mankind having been dead in our trespasses and sins, but made alive by the work of Jesus Christ. And he's talked most importantly in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 about salvation that is by grace through faith alone in Jesus crucified in our place and for our sins. So, God's grace makes salvation possible, and faith is the entryway into it. Basically, he has laid out this for us to see in chapters 1 through 3. We are one body, Jew and Gentile. We are people of the mystery that God had kept hidden for generations and generations, now revealed to all who will hear the gospel. People of the ministry, made alive by God's grace through faith in Jesus, who redeemed us by his blood, becoming God's masterpiece in this time, while already seated in Christ in the heavenlies, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and waiting to become God's inheritance being made holy and blameless by him, predestined for adoption, chosen by God's will, lavished by his grace, and if you've been watching, equipped with every spiritual benefit and blessing that we need to navigate this life of following Christ, waiting on his return, but everything we need to do and to be all that God has called us to do. And it's at our access, and this is who we are in Jesus. And he's laid this case. And now he's going to pray over them as he moves into 
Now, on the basis of what you are in Christ, now do these things. He's going to pray. And this is going to be a very important prayer in the life of the Ephesians because I believe in the back of Paul's mind, he's thinking who we are in Christ is awesome. And that's exactly what's going to have to motivate us when life gets hard. Life had already gotten hard for Paul. We saw it last week. He's in prison. He said, because of my ministry to the Gentiles, now I'm in prison because the Jews couldn't stand that notion. And now I'm here. And if I would just say, okay, I'm not going to preach to the Gentiles anymore, they'd let me out of prison. But I ain't doing that because God's called me to this ministry. And this ministry has gotten me incarcerated. And that's okay. I'm not stopping. I'm not going to quit what I'm doing. I'm going to keep preaching this mystery to all who will listen. So if things has gotten hard for me because of the gospel, things are going to get hard for you. Now think about this. Paul is preaching to a primarily Gentile audience. Paul is is under pressure from his Jewish fellows. Paul's not really under Roman pressure. Paul put himself under Roman uh, incarceration because he wanted to make his case before Caesar because he's a Roman citizen, and he had that right, and it was going to take him out of the hotbed of the Jews and give him an audience with someone who probably wasn't going to care either way because the Romans were... They were real good at keeping the peace with peoples of ancient religions. Here's what they would do. If you had an ancient religion that went thousands of years before Rome came and overthrew your nation, what they would do is they would allow you to keep worshiping the god or goddess or whatever it is that you were. They would say, yeah, you keep going to your temple. You just remember who's, who's in control. Because as long you co-worship, you pray to whatever thing you want to pray to, whatever being, just as long as at the end of the day you pay your taxes to Caesar, and if Caesar tells you to stop going to work and stop going to school and don't go out of your house, you do what Caesar says. Jab coronavirus. Okay, so you remember who's in control, right? So Paul was really under pressure of Jewish uh, aggravation. Paul knew that for the Gentiles who were, who were not under an ancient religion, who were, who were going to begin worshiping a deity that was not in the record of Rome. Okay, Jesus, Caesar, is, is Jesus in your book? Caesar's going to go, I'm not finding Jesus nowhere in the historical record. So you're worshiping who? That's against my law. Kill those folks. So Paul knew that this was probably going to get real difficult for followers of Jesus in the world that they were living. Can, can we just admit as, as Americans that we enjoy incredible amounts of religious freedom in our culture? Can, can we just admit that a lot of what, of what the New Testament says that, that is going to be suffered, can we just admit that we've never suffered these things? But we, but we do have different kinds of opposition. And a lot of it is the opposition of our own thinking, but we'll get to that at another time. Paul is thinking about folks who are following Jesus and are probably going to start facing all kinds of difficulty. And so he says, look, 
because of all this, because of all of the wonderful things that I've told you, because of who we are in Jesus, because of all that we have laid at us by God's grace, through his mercy, by faith in Jesus, because of all this, I really feel like I need to pray for y'all. Because all of these things are going to be put to test in your life. And so that's where we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse number 14. You may have you version. I'm, I think I sent that off. Uh, cool. Janie's shaking her head. I can't remember. I did a lot of things different yesterday. So if you got you version, you can follow along. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 says this. For this reason, because of everything that I've told you and all that we've already explained, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend all that the saints, with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We'll stop there. We're gonna deal with verse 20 and 21, but that's a whole different thing. So Paul says, I wanna pray these things to you. And I just want us to see three elements of this prayer that Paul lays out on behalf of the Ephesian believers, and I believe because of the doctrine of inspiration, all of us. So this is what God has for us to wrestle with. And I, th- I see three elements. I see first surrender, then I see power, and then I see love. And those are the things that he is praying and moving us to see. First, surrender. Look what he says in verse number 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. In the Jewish tradition, typically you would pray standing up. And a Jew would typically pray standing up with their hands out before them. Now, I grew up in just a very traditional conservative uh, Baptist church, a country Baptist church. And so a lot of Physical expression is something that I just wasn't, I just didn't see a lot of. And when I did see it, it was off the rails, okay? So, so typically, you can define what off the rails means. So typically, any physical expression in my mind was in the direction of, wow, they're going off the, the rails on that crazy train. And so I didn't do that. And I didn't, I, So I just, I don't know. I like to play the drums because if I'm out here singing with y'all, I kind of think that I, and you know, there's part of me that goes, lift them hands, boy. God is worthy of it, but I'm just kind of like, I don't know what to do with my hands. I just, I'm gonna put them up, but this looks weird, doesn't it? And so I've seen folks in, in our time right now, when they'll pray, they'll do this right here. And I I just gotta tell you, when they do that, I go, I, I, want, I want to learn how to do that. I want to learn how to, how to, how to put myself in the moment. Because what the Jews were doing was they were putting their hands out to receive from God that that he would give them. So that was traditionally how they would pray with their hands forward standing up. 
to demonstrate fervent prayer, they would get on their knees. They would get on their face. Now, we have, in the American culture, we have cheapened the kneeling prayer. We get on our knees all the time. I mean, we're just, hey, let's just, let's get down. And and sometimes it does put us in a different frame of mind, but I don't really think that it always, like, I don't know how many, maybe you do, get up in the morning and get down on your face and pray. That, if you're doing that, then you're doing business with God. That's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, guys, I just want you to know, I'm on my knees because I'm begging God to do these things. And I'm on my knees because I'm in complete surrender to him. When you walk into the presence of Caesar, what do you do? You hit your knees because he's the emperor. When you walk into the presence of your sovereign king, what do you do? You hit your knees and you bow. Paul says, I'm surrendering myself and I'm fervently calling on God to do these things. He did this in Acts chapter number 20, verse number 36. This was the last time he saw the Ephesians before he went to Jerusalem, got in trouble with the Jews, got incarcerated, and now he's where he's at. The last time he saw them, Acts 20, 36, it says he got on his knees and prayed for them to go back to Ephesus and continue the work that he had built there. Now he's saying, I'm surrendering myself. But who am I surrendering it to? I'm surrendering to the Father. Verse number 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, the the more modern translations, I think the the New Living Translation says, "To, to the Father, the creator of heaven and earth. Because what basically Paul is saying is, is that of course, those of us who have been adopted into the family of God call him Father because he is our heavenly Father by adoption and by new birth. But guess what? Every created being gets its life from this creator. So he's saying, I'm, I'm surrendering myself to our Father who loves us and has poured out everything we need and is lavishing his grace on us and is sealing us and he's brought us into one body and he's building us. But I'm also surrendering myself to the Father of everybody, whether they've surrendered or not. That's who I'm dealing with. That's who I'm contending with. That's who I'm pouring out myself to say, God, do for them what they need in order to endure what I know has to be coming. And here's what he does. He asks the Father to do something. Verse number 16. This is his main request. I surrender myself to the Father. I'm bowing my knees in heaven, uh, through whom everyone in, in heaven and on earth is named. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory. How much glory riches does God have? Well, he's got all of them. But how much is that? That's an endless supply of riches in glory. And so Paul's saying, I'm asking the one who's got it. To give according to what he has, according to the riches that he has of his glory, that he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This one who surrendered himself to his creator, to his Lord, this one who is pouring himself out, he's saying, God, I want you to give them 
power so that they can be strengthened. You say, well, didn't, didn't he already say that we had power? Yeah, back over in chapter 1, verse 19, he says that all power is ours. In fact, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that is our power to walk in obedience. But I think what Paul is saying is, is that it's, it's not enough, God, that it's, it's there for them. I want you to divinely impart that on. God, I want you to punt them out of the nest with this power. I want you to, I want you to put them in the middle of all that is available to them. And I want it to work. And where is it that he wants it to work? He says, in their inner being. In their inner being. Why? Because human strength is fragile. You agree with that? Human strength is fragile. We've got, in in our human strength, we've got physical strength. We've got mental strength. We have emotional strength. And in the last three weeks, some of y'all, our last eight weeks, some of y'all have come in this morning, I mean, running on fumes of physical because the mental and the emotional is gone and you're just working off of, of physical fumes. And Paul says, here's what I want you to do, God. I want you to pour your power. Not, not just a little bit. I want you to pour all of it. According to your, I want you to demonstrate yourself in them so that their inner being is saturated by what you are pouring into them. Because, because they're going to be pushed to their mental limit. They're going to be pushed to their emotional limit. At times, they're going to be pushed to their physical limit. And what's going to keep propelling them on? The spiritual inner strength. Some of y'all in the past year have suffered greatly. And you've suffered physically, physically. There, there have been some that because of circumstances that are ha- emotionally. I mean, how, how do you get your job just taken away from you? Well, when are we coming back? We'll let you know. Just apply for unemployment. Oh, I did that, and I keep clicking, and it says come back later. Have your emotional strength just zapped. Your mental strength. Any teachers in the room? Any parents of elementary children in the room have had that mental strength just doused. Paul's like, look, God, here's what I know. I know that what will keep them going when everything else is gone is you. But here's the thing. Here's what I want you to do, God. I, I want you to pour yourself so much into their inner being that their physical strength begins to be fueled by you. That their emotional strength begins to be fueled by you. That their mental strength begins to be fueled by you. So that they're not relying on anything of themselves. It actually becomes you that's fueling them. God, I want you to pour out according to your riches that they might have strength and power through your spirit. 
You see, you can't just be spiritual in this world. So I, I'm, I'm going to tap into my spiritual being. You don't have that. We've already learned you're dead in your sin. But when you're made alive in Christ, you're given the person of the Holy Spirit. You're given the person, the third person of the Godhead to dwell in you and empower you and strengthen you. And he's like, God, I want you to pour this out on them so that they may be strengthened with power in their inner being so that everything they are, everything that is theirs, everything that they face and the circumstances around them, regardless of what it is, may it be fueled and may they address it and may they face it and who they are in Jesus and not what they have at their disposal. Does that make sense? He says, God, I, I want you to give them power because it's going to get hard. And if they're not careful, they're going to fall away and they're going to get discouraged and they're going to want to, they're going to want to uh, just abandon ship. And God, I want you to fill them with that inner working, that first filter that you look through at every situation. I want you to let that be your power. How many of us look through that filter first? Most of us don't. We look through, can I do this? Is it possible? Do I want to? Why should I have to? So I want you to be able to look through who you are in the power of Jesus. And then I see love. First surrender, then power, then love. Verse 16, that according to the riches of your glory, his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the spirit in your inner being. So that you've seen a telescope, right? So you know how it works. The first one comes out and then the next one comes out. And then, so they're linked to one another. That's what he's going to do. God, I want you to give them power so that, and then we link it out, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now you're saying right now, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought Christ already dwells in our heart. He does. He dwells with every believer. He's present with every believer. Here's what he says. I want so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. May dwell means to be at home in your heart. Now, I've stayed at places before with people that I felt at home. Like I felt like I could, you know, I could put on my ratty sleep shirt and my, my sleep pants that are frayed at the bottom and I could take my socks off because they won't mind seeing my feet. And I walk out and I enjoy the evening with them. But I've also stayed with folks at times when I, I, I felt like a welcome guest. I just didn't bring out the sleep clothes. You know what I'm saying? Cause that just, I don't know you like that. Cause that's, you don't know, you don't know me like that. And so I've tried to respect that boundary and go, you know what? I'm, I'm here. I'm a welcome guest, but I don't really feel at home. And then there have been some times when I've been some places where I really felt like I was bothered. I'm like, well, you invited and we're here and I'm sorry that you made a mistake, but I, I don't, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm bothering you. So I was a guest. I was just an unwelcome guest. And let me ask you this question. If you're a follower of Jesus, he dwells with you. But how does he dwell with you? Is he a guest who feels out of place, who feels like he's really not wanted? You know, wow, they're, they're kind of just going about their life ignoring me. 
They're not, they're not including me in either. So I'm just sitting here and I'm a guest, but I'm unwelcome. Almost like they wish I wasn't here. Is that how Jesus dwells in your heart? Or is he a welcome guest, but that's all he is, a guest. Like he's got a bag packed that he lives out of. He doesn't have a, a, a chest of drawers. He, he doesn't have a, a spot for his toothbrush in your bathroom vanity. He's a welcome guest. Jesus, I'm glad you're here, but I don't really have anywhere for you to stay. You can stay over here, but we're really glad you're here. Stay as long as you want, but you're not really at home. Or is he the owner of your house? Where you just say, you know what, Jesus, how about you hold these keys? I'll just live with you. Paul says, I want you to, I want you to strengthen them in their inner being so that they become so accustomed to their life being focused on you. And, and every situation they see, everything that happens, they look through the filter of the power that they have, that they just come to this place where Christ is dwelling with them at home as the Lord of their life. So like, like they're just kind of living in his space. He's not walking with them. They're kind of just riding with him. I say, I, I used an illustration for the students several months back that, that a lot of times we want to put Jesus in our backpack and take Jesus everywhere we go in our backpack. But you know what you can do with your backpack, don't you? You can take it off. You can set it over there. You can actually forget it and leave it on the bus and then be afraid. God doesn't want to be in our backpack. God wants us to be riding on his back. I think about uh, Yoda up on the back of Luke's guy. That's, he wants us to holding on him. So where we go, he, you know, where he goes, we go. And, and, and Paul says when they're walking in this power in their inner being, then they're going to they're gonna just be comfortable letting Jesus be at home with them. So that what he wants is what I want. Where he wants to go is where I want to go. Where he doesn't want to go, well, you know what? I might would like to go there, but it's just not that important to me because it's not what Jesus wants. He says, I want that because they're going to need this. If they're going to face these oppositional things that are coming, and it's coming, if they're going to walk faithful, they need it. They need power. They need your love. And listen, so that Christ, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that, that choice that you keep having to make, to saying, yeah, Lord, no, I, I'm, I'm here. I want you to be here. The keys are yours. I, I don't want them back. But every day, yeah, Lord, by faith, I want you to keep being. And then things get tough and we go, Lord, can I have those keys back? Because there's some things that I think I need to do. But by faith, we go, nope, it's going to be yours. Because I'm going to walk in your power. I'm going to walk in your presence. I'm going to recognize that you're at home with me. And I don't, nope, don't want them back. By faith, I keep choosing him. That you, talking about you and me, being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. He says, as Christ begins to dwell in you at home, as you begin to walk comfortably with him, and he's setting the pace, and he's deciding what we do, as that begins to happen, here's what's going to happen. You're going to become more and more grounded and rooted in the love of Jesus. Because that's how Jesus operated in everything he did. And Jesus said some hard things. Jesus did some table-knocking things. Jesus 
made some predictions and promises that sound kind of hairy, but they don't ever step outside of the foundation of his love because Jesus operates within the framework of God's love. And Paul says, as, as they walk in that power, as they embrace that power that's theirs, as they let Jesus be at home with them and he begins to dwell at home with them, they're going to find themselves becoming more and more rooted in love. But you know what I find that we're the most rooted in? And the only thing that I can say about this is to tell you about myself. I find myself being rooted in these kind of things. Pride. You ever find yourself being rooted in pride? It's when you think your strength, whether physical or mental or emotional or intellectual or whatever, when you think yours is uh, good enough and better than others. So pride we can find ourselves rooted in. Uh, That can sometimes turn into arrogance. Well, I know more than you do. And so it's more than just pride. Now it's becoming arrogance. Uh, We can find ourselves rooted and grounded in worry. When I think my strength, physical, mental, emotional is not enough, and I find myself grounded in worry. I can find myself grounded in comparison. I can find myself, these believers might have found themselves uh, grounded in comparison and, and uh, segregation. Paul says, no, the more you walk with Christ, the more you're going to find yourself operating with in love. And that love, you're going to come to discover that's from Christ is wider than you ever imagined. It's longer than you could explain. It reaches higher than we could ever travel, and it goes lower than anything could dig. It's so broad that it extends to all, Jew, Gentile, black, white, red, yellow, male, female, regardless, it's so wide. It's so long that it stretches from eternity past to eternity future. I kind of went backwards there, eternity past, eternity future. It's so high that it extends right up into the throne room of the sovereign God himself. His love is so deep that no one is too far gone. No one is too broken to reach. He says, as you begin to walk and dwell and, 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 and embrace the power that is yours, you'll find yourselves operating within the sphere of Christ's love that's so broad and long and high and deep that it's going to have a profound impact on how you embrace the challenges that come in. What would it look like if we saw challenges and opposition coming and instead of facing them like this, we just stood in the confident power of the God that indwells us and we faced the one opposing us with the love of Jesus that's so broad and high and deep and long. What would that look like? I'm going to tell you what it would look like. It would look like the God-man carrying a cross to a place that he was going to lay down his life, operating within the power of the Holy Spirit and operating within the love of God that was extended even to those who were nailing the nails. That's what it looks like when we walk in the power of God and the love of Christ. We look like Jesus. 
And when we look like Jesus and sound like Jesus, when we present the gospel, we've given no rebuttal by our own life. We've shown what it looks like, that thing we're presenting to others. And so Paul says, I'm just praying, God, that they'll walk in who they are, that they'll talk in who they are, that they'll embrace the power that is theirs, and God, that they will be rooted and grounded in love, and so that together with all the saints, they might come to more and more understanding of the the, the greatness of God's love, and that it might be extended to one another as they do. Verse number 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it possible for all of the fullness of God to dwell within you? (laughs) No. But he keeps pouring. And you know what it does? It just kind of keeps bubbling over as he keeps pouring. When the fountain used to work uh, out front, it would, it would pour, the water would pour over into that first little pool and it can only hold so much water and it would drip out into the bigger, into the bigger pool. And then when it would fill up to a certain spot, then this little pump would push it all the way back up and it'd spill out and pour out and then it'd go right back up and it'd spill out and it'd pour out. And that idea, like the psalmist is saying, I'm filled to overflowing. You've been around folks like that. You've walked with folks that you just go, they just are walking with God in such a way that it's just, it's pouring out of them. They, they can't hold it all. It's just, it's pouring out and running all over everywhere they're around. Paul says, that's, I want them to experience what it's like to sit in a jail cell, not knowing what's going to happen. Not knowing if Caesar's going to have a bad day, maybe he's going to want to say, let's just go ahead and kill this fellow and be done with it. I want them to know the power that's operable right here in the cell. I want them to know the love of Jesus that, that can be experienced when I can't go and do what I want, when circumstances are going in the opposite direction of what I think they are. God, I want you to fill them with so much confidence so much confidence in the power and the love that you have for them that they'll walk in that way and that they'll just be overflowing with your fullness even strapped to that that they would prefer not be true because guys that's the christian walk you know comfort and ease and happiness not in this new testament in eternity absolutely for eternity in God's presence. But in this life, health, wealth, happiness, not in the New Testament. Not according to the ones who have died centuries and centuries ago for the cause of Christ. No, it looks like suffering for Jesus, sharing the gospel, walking in power, living in love, overflowing with what he's pouring into us. And Paul says, that's what I'm praying For you guys, Ephesians, and through inspiration, God says, that's what I want for you guys, Oasis Church. That's what I want for all of my children. Surrender, 
power, love, and then a benediction. He brings these three chapters to a close with a benediction, a doxology of worship. And here's what he says. Now, he, he, he says amen, but he, he ends it with now. To him who is able to do far more abundantly. Now say that with me. Far more abundantly. See, some of y'all didn't say it. Let's do it again. Far more abundantly. Who is he that can do far more abundantly? Our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, to him who can do way more than we can ask or think. I actually like the way the King James says it better, more than we could ask or imagine. I know I, I can imagine quite a bit. Paul says he can do way more than you can imagine. Now to him who can do far more abundantly all that we could ask or think according to the power at work in us. The one who can do more than we can ever imagine according to what he's willing to do in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And everybody said, can he do it? You say, can he do what? That thing that he's determined to do in you. Can he do it? Of course he can. Can he do in you more than you could ever have imagined that he could do with such a broken and 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 uh, defiled vessel? Absolutely he can. And he's going to do it through his power in us. And he's going to get all the glory. In this time and in every generation to follow for his glory. So here's what we got to decide. Are we going to let him? And you know what it starts with? Surrender. Surrender. It starts with surrendering your life to Christ if you don't know him. It's saying what you've said about me is true. I am dead. I am broken. I am separated from you. It's true. And God, I believe that Jesus died for me. It's, it's about surrendering your life to him by faith. And then it's about every day giving him the keys. Giving him the keys. Jesus, I don't want you to feel unwelcome with me. Here's the keys to the house. You tell me when to be home. Jesus, I don't want you to be uncomfortable in my living room. Here, you had a remote. It's yours. Jesus, I, I don't want you to be, I don't want you not to feel at home with, with my automobile. Hey, can I take it? Is it all right with you? God, I want you, to, I want you to feel at home because I want to walk in that love that you've called me to. And I want to understand it. I want to see it and, and wrestle with it. And, and I want to step into whatever you might lead me into with confident assurance in your power that raised Jesus from the dead that I might with my life glorify you in this generation and forever and ever. Amen. Takeaways. Number one, there's nothing more powerful than a surrendered child of God. 
Nothing more powerful than a child of God on their knees. God, I'm yours. You do what you will. I know what I want, but I want what you want. Nothing more powerful. Number two, inner spiritual strength will lead us when physical, mental, and emotional strength is spent. And if you find yourself here today just spent, you say, God, I'm, I'm on empty, then I think that's a great place for surrender. To say, Lord, I'm on empty. I don't know why I've been running on what's mine anyway. I want you to fill me with that confident power. You lead me. You propel me. Takeaway number three. The more we experience the love of Christ, the more we will love others like Christ loves. Let me, let me, let me tell you a shame on me moment this week. My wife will know exactly what I'm talking about. So it was a circumstance that came up. And it was a potential, it was a potential struggle or a potential uh, uh, conflict. And I said to her, don't you worry about that. If we run into that conflict, well, I'll, listen, I'll handle it. I'll tell them. I'll, I'll make them see the right way. Well, what was that? That was me stepping into that with my own strength and pride and ability. And you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to tell, whoa. The more we experience the love of Christ, the more we'll love others like Christ loves us. That's a tough one, but it'd be worth your time to chew on for the next seven days. Last takeaway, number four. God desires to do way more through you than you ever thought possible. See, we challenged the graduates this morning. To go and do and be and let God use them in ways they would have never imagined. But you know what? That same thing is true for you. You are never too old to be used in a powerful way. You are never too young for God to use you in an extraordinary fashion. He wants to and he will. And our prayer for you is that he might fill you with power and love and confidence to walk in that truth. For his glory today, forever and ever. Amen. But I know there's some folks that are watching online that may have never trusted Christ as Savior. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus. My desire would be that they would communicate with me. That they would say, hey, I was watching this and I don't know Jesus. I've never trusted him. Can I talk to you? Yeah, you can. Shoot me an email. I'd love to, con- to converse with you about this. But it's just a matter of going, I know I'm a sinner. I know what God's word said, that Christ died for me. And I I know that I can only receive that by faith. And I believe that Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. And I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to be a part of this family. I want to tap into some of that power and walk in that love with that kind of confidence in the one who made me. It's about saying, yes, Lord, I'll take Jesus. If you'll take me, I want to be your child. And then walking that out daily. So our prayer for you. Surrender. Walk in power. Experience love. So that that might be the aura of your life moving forward. Agreed?
Let me pray for you and we'll be done. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the word. Thank you again for the opportunity to be back together in person. Even though limited, we're just glad to be able to, to be back. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you that it's alive and that it will, that it will infiltrate our heart and mind. It will propel us forward if we'll just let it, if we'll let you. So God, help us to hear what it is you want us to know for today. God, give us the courage to walk it out. Even as we walk out of the doors this morning, may we walk in a brand new confidence and the power that is ours and the love that we can experience and demonstrate. God, we give you the keys to our life. I ask you to be Lord so that we might represent you well. First in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. His mercy is Sins they are many, His mercy.